Hello, this is Chase McKinney. Please be advised that the messages discussed in this podcast are of a mental health nature. While I am a counselor, I am not your counselor. This podcast should not replace professional services rendered to you by a mental health professional. If you feel you are in need of one, please seek one out. Hey everyone, welcome back to Reframed. I'm your host, Chase McKinney, and I am so happy that uh, y'all stuck around and that you're still here. Uh, today, we're going to do it just a little bit different. Um, and what I mean by that is it's just me today. We're flying solo, but that is okay. That's A-OK and peachy keen. Wow, I can't believe I just said A-OK and peachy keen. Strung together like that. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much for uh, tuning into this episode today. We are going to be talking about a very popular piece of media, uh, Harry Potter. But before that, uh, we're going to slow it down just a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about you know what's been going on lately. Um, and then we'll also talk a little bit about some Channel 49 news. So, um, you know, when we're doing the weekly hunt type of thing, um, just want to take a little time to, to share what's been going on with, uh, with me as your host. You know, um, I told you all that uh, recently started a PhD program with Regent University, and man, has it been fun. There's absolutely no sarcasm with that whatsoever. It has been really interesting uh, getting to work with my new friends, with my new colleagues, uh, what we're, we're called a cohort is the the um, naming of like our grouping system or whatever. And there's, um, including myself, 19 of us in this group together. And we've been doing some pretty intense work um, as we develop professionally uh, and even personally. We've, we've had a lot of really good uh, friendships that have been established uh, both at residency when we were in Virginia Beach there at the, um, I guess, end of August, beginning of September. And just a lot of stuff has been happening. And, um, you know, between working on projects, like we're working on this really massive research project right now, um, you know, we have different uh, research questions, different hypotheses, um, but all together we're, we're looking at like um, military uh, spouses that are also in the mental health profession. And I'm really interested to see how it all comes together and, and um, you know, what we're going to be able to do with it professionally, whether we're going to be able to present at conferences, whether we're going to be able to, uh, you know, get into some kind of peer-reviewed journal uh, or, or whatever. I, I don't know. Um, but it'll be, it'll be interesting, uh, to say the least, with that. And um, there's a lot going on with that, and it's, it's really exciting. And... Um, again, I, I love the people that I get to to do this, you know, PhD journey with. Uh, they are some good people, um, very talented people, very intelligent, very smart people that I'm privileged to to do all this with. And um, you know, funny enough, I've been told for years that I need to watch The Office. Um, my wife has has almost begged me to do it. Um, with, with watching The Office, and it's just something that's never, re- I've never really been able to get into, and 
after enough, people are like, dude, you really need to watch The Office. You act way too much like Andy Bernard, Nardog. And I finally gave in after uh, a couple of my cohort members are like, you really need to watch this. I'm like, fine, I'll watch it. And um, I started, you know, at the end of residency, uh, which was, I think, like September 1st or 2nd, 2018. And I'm... You know, now it's been like, I think about a month and I'm already on season six of The Office. It's it's um, funny in its own way. It's not the show that I would have probably immediately gone to to watch or to get into, but it's it's pretty good. Uh, I'm going to I'll give credit where credit's due. So um, thank you to my wife for always, you know, encouraging me to watch it and being reluctant to do so, but you know, I finally gave into it. So thank you, honey. Um, also thank you to, uh, Paige and to, um, Ashley with my cohort for encouraging me also. And for all the, the conversations that we have on our, our group chats about the office. Um, it's been great. It's been awesome. Um, so I'll tell you more about that. And I'm sure we'll, we'll eventually work the office into this show, uh, down the road. So look forward to that because I'm looking forward to talking about it. Um, just the first six seasons that I've seen so far, I think there's like nine. Uh, there are some episodes that have jumped out that I think I want to tackle. Um, so we'll, we'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens. Um, apart from that, uh, another cool thing that um, has been going on that I recently got to do at the time of this recording was I recently went on... Um, a trip to uh, Broken Bow, Oklahoma, um, Beaver's Bend, really. Uh, my, I've always wanted to go to Beaver's Bend. I'm um, an outdoorsy kind of guy. I like, you know, walking through the woods. I appreciate nature so much. I'm an Eagle Scout and the Boy Scout, so, um, you know, the wooded areas, the nature, all that stuff um, is really good for me, um, like with my, my self-care, my personal care. And uh, my wife and I, uh, my daughter, uh, and my my in-laws, we went up there for the weekend recently, and we stayed in a big old cabin. Um, we were on one side of of the cabin um, to ourselves, and my in-laws were on their other on the other side to themselves. And you know, for the the short time we were there, we were there for um, like a day and a half, two days, something like that. We had a great time. Um, you know, it's a very small town type living out there. And, uh, you know, it's funny, like there's hardly anything open on Sundays. Like everything is pretty much closed on Sundays. Uh, most restaurants are, uh, like really the only things that are going to be open up on Sundays are going to be like your McDonald's and your Wendy's, your, you know, if they even have a Wendy's, just other, you know, fast food chains and then maybe some other things, um, that might, you know, have like a local flair to them. So um, had a great time, had some good food. We were able to get some some local food uh, that we wouldn't be able to normally get in the, the Fort Worth and the Azel area of Texas. So um, that was great. Um, I would encourage anyone that ever goes traveling to, you know, try and get something, you know, enjoy stuff that you wouldn't normally be able to get in your own hometown. Um, you know, whether that's a chain or not, um, I mean, I know that whenever I go and visit friends and family up north in um, Michigan and Ohio, where I lived for about 10 years, I always make a point of going to a place called uh, Tim Hortons. 
It's a Canadian chain uh, coffee shop, donut shop type of thing. And I think they have the best coffee in the entire world. Um, so, and I, I'm not a coffee drinker and I love their coffee so much. Like I make a point of ordering like an extra large coffee whenever I go there. Cause it's just so good. So good. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there, but you know, if you go traveling, you know, it doesn't matter if it's somewhere in the U S or you're going to like Canada, Mexico, or somewhere across the pond, you know, yeah, if you want, if you want to be safe and you know, you're really hungry and you need to know what you're going to get. Yeah, that's fine. Maybe once, maybe twice, just depending on the duration of your stay. But, you know, just live a little, you know, have that experience where you're, where you're taking it in and, um, enjoying, you know, the local flavor, the local experience that you wouldn't be able to normally get in your hometown. Experience is, is something that is so important as we, um, grow and develop as people, you know, having those new experiences, those new, uh, whatever, um, just to have more depth as a human being, um, depth that we can draw from experiences that we can draw on. And, you know, I think that we should try things, um, at least once, as long as they're, uh, legal, ethical, and moral. Um, I'm not going to advocate someone try heroin once um, just to see what it's like. That's that's not cool. It's not legal. Um, and I would say it's also not really ethical or moral either, uh, depending on what your moral code is. Um, so don't don't try heroin. Heroin's bad. Don't do that. Um, but I mean, if it's like I've never had a Pepsi before and I've always, only ever had, you know, Coca-Cola, try a Pepsi. Okay. Um, and this is and, and this isn't you know product placement or anything like that. It's just an example of how we should live a little bit. But I feel like I've been going on with that for a long while now. Um, just as we as we get started with this um, you know weekly hunt type of thing, just with what's going on. Um, <clears throat> with that, I wanted to uh, jump right into some Channel Forty Nine news. Uh, we've been, I guess, a little sparse with the news lately. And uh, that's okay. Uh, you know, we're still new. We're still, you know, getting at it. And I came across, I did like a quick little Google search for some mental health news. Uh, there's a book that I read um, a while back. Um, it's called Change Your Brain, Change Your Life by a guy named um, Daniel Amen. And um, he does a lot of um, like imaging type studies looks at the brain, um, does like some, um, more or less like some, uh, an aspect of neuroscience type of work. And, uh, I was, I was really pleased to see that he had come out with some, some research on, um, this thing, this idea of brain aging. And what I'll do is, uh, once this drops, I'll, I'll post the, um, link to the, the article that I'm reading from. Um, but in summary, it's the largest known brain imaging study um, it, or in the largest known brain uh, imaging study. Scientists, um, they evaluated over 62,000 um, brain uh, spec scans. So spec stands for single photon emission commuted, computed tomography. Um, and this was done in more than 30,000 individuals from um, ranging in age from nine months old to 105 years of age. 
Um, and it was designed to investigate factors that accelerate brain aging. And uh, one of the things with, with it is um, Dr. Amen has said, you know, as a part of this research, that we can now link clinical diagnoses and addictions to premature aging of the brain. So better treatment of these disorders can slow or even halt brain aging. Um, so there's a there's this uh, these different accelerated aging predictions that they're they're looking at. So they're looking at um, like certain mental health disorders. They're looking at certain um, substances and what the impact has on um, like the physical structure of your brain and its it's um, it's aging basically. So does the the age of your brain match your chronological chronological age? Now, you know, one would assume yes. You know, like if you're 30, you know, in in physical form, you know, chronologically, your brain should be 32 because I mean, they were created at the same time basically. Um, we don't need to get into a semantics issue of like the developmental timeline or anything. Let's just say like you're 30, your brain should be 30. Um, but what they're getting at is that, um, you know, you can be chronologically 30, but you can display as 40, um, just for a very oversimplification of what they're getting at. Um, so they studied 128 uh, brain regions to predict the chronological age of the patient. An older age predicted from the scan compared to the actual chronological age was interpreted as accelerated aging. Uh, the study found that a number of brain disorders and behaviors predicted accelerated aging, um, especially schizophrenia, which showed an average of four years of premature aging, uh, cannabis abuse or marijuana, um, 2.8 years of accelerated aging, bipolar disorder, 1.6 years, ADHD, 1.4 years, and alcohol abuse, 0.6 years. Um, and the article states, interestingly, the researchers did not observe accelerated aging in depression and aging, which they hypothesize may be due to different types of brain patterns for these disorders. So, um, you know, those are some of the high points of um of this article and and like i said i'll i'll make a point of putting this on um you know the twitter i'll put this um, um even on our facebook page for y'all to to look over to dig in um if you want to uh it's no big deal um if you don't want to um but just something um to have to chew on for the channel 49 news uh for um for this episode um anyway so we are now uh, about to dive in to reframed now as i had mentioned earlier we are going to be talking about um harry potter and the order of the phoenix and um I can remember when the book came out, um, man, I hope I'm right when I say this, but I, I seem to remember this coming out in 2003, uh, the book at least, um, into, where was I? 2003, I was 
16 years old. So there we go. I'm dating myself, y'all. Uh, and the summer of 2003, I was uh, staffing my first junior leader training conference with the Boy Scouts of America. I was originally supposed to be a quartermaster, like a food quartermaster. And last minute, I got changed to a troop guide, which meant that I was um, I was mentoring um, a patrol of participants, so people that were coming to the conference to be trained as um, youth leaders, junior leaders, as we called them at the time. And um, I had a blast. And I can remember that my uh, my dad picked me up from Camp Halaka in Lapeer, Michigan. Um, and, you know, I was all smelly from being in the great outdoors for a week. I did shower, don't worry. Um, <laughs> and when I got home, um, I had pre, I don't know how I was able to do it because I came from a family where my mom was like, no, Harry Potter, anything. But somehow, um, she was okay with me pre-ordering, um, the Order of the Phoenix it was the first book that I can remember pre-ordering and it shipped straight to the house. So it was there when I arrived um, towards the end of June. So I remember these things always happened around Father's Day. Like they would usually start on Father's Day and it would be the following um, week that we would end uh, and go home. So um, I got home and there it was, Order of the Phoenix. And it was ready for me to read and to get into, to digest. And you know, for the first book that I pre-ordered and the first Harry Potter book that I can remember buying myself, because the first four I'd like marathoned and just read the mess out of them. um, You know, it it wasn't the most, to me, it wasn't the most interesting book, um, you know, as one that I first owned. And I want to be fair with this. I really enjoyed, I really did enjoy Order of the Phoenix. Um, mainly the the main issue for me with it was it was just really dense, like with all like the, like the newts and the owls and the, the testing. And then, you know, it just seemed like a very, um, like a bureaucratic type of book. And it was hard for me to get into, but, um, I, at the time I was able to download, um, um, the audiobook, which really helped me get through it, and I was eventually able to just to finish it on my own. Um, but you know, Order Order of the Phoenix is, I think, one of the one of the books that's really well. The whole series is about like, in in a way, the whole series is about death and grief. Um, I think Order of the Phoenix is something that did a particularly good job of ma- of really maturing the audience of readers um, and being able to talk about a real um, corporately experienced set of deaths in a um, in a good way. Harry, as we know, lost his his family, lost his his mom and his dad um, in the events prior to um, more or less prior to 
what happened in, um, you know, Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, depending on which region of the book you're reading, you know, to, to Voldemort. And then, you know, he, he lives with um, an aunt and uncle and a cousin who aren't too happy to, to really have him around. So, you know, we don't really get to experience that death together. Um, you know, Chamber of Secrets, you have, you know, you have some stuff going on with, you know, Gilderoy Lockhart and you get like this idea of, of like stuff that's going on with, um, a young Tom Riddle in the Chamber of Secrets. And there's like some aspects of death, but it's kind of like alluded to in a way. It's not like really direct. Uh, and then you get to Prisoner of Azkaban and it's about, um, being framed it's about or at least it's it's like a that's kind of how i'm framing it um but it's also about friendship and the power of friendship um in a real way and and family like family becomes more of a real important thing i think in prisoner of azkaban which is i think prisoner of azkaban has to be hands down my favorite harry potter book of the series once we get to Goblet of Fire, uh, the fourth book, and, I, and there's a point to me leading up to all this. Once we get to Goblet of Fire, we are introduced to all these different concepts. We, we, we see Death Eaters that are becoming more rampant. Um, you know, whether it's at the Quidditch World Cup and if I'm spoiling anything for you guys, I'm sorry. It's it's over 20, 25 some odd years old. Um, so, um, spoiler alert. Um, and the books and like the whole world has been out there for a while with Harry Potter everything. So, you know, go check out the books. Pause it right now. Go read the series and come read or come listen to this podcast whenever you're done with it. Uh, so I don't. So it's not too spoiler for you. But you know, when you get to book four, Quidditch World Cup happens. Um, Death Eaters happen, um, Dark Mark appears in the sky, and then, you know, Harry's going through this whole process of being a very reluctant competitor in the Triwizard Tournament, um, which, you know, results in the first corporately experienced death of a character. And it's also the first, um, it's, it is the resurrection of, um, you know, Voldemort, Tom Riddle, you know, he who must not be named, whatever moniker, whatever name you want to go by for him. So it is from the conclusion, the concluding events of Goblet of Fire that leads us into the idea, the the nature, the um, themes of death that are covered in Order of the Phoenix. So we pick up basically right at almost like immediately after Goblet of Fire. I mean, all these books are are meant to span a school year at Hogwarts. So we're looking, you know, end of July, usually, um, whenever it's Harry's birthday. We, we typically start with Harry's birthday, like right around end of July, um, which then leads up to spending a little bit of time maybe with the Weasleys or going to Diagon Alley or something that ultimately leads to him getting to Hogwarts around um, end of August, beginning of September. So 
If I've spoken out of turn on any of this Harry Potter lore, please forgive me. Give me some grace with this. Um, a lot of this is um, from memory that I'm trying to recall some of this stuff. Um, so anyways, please give me some grace on that. But I think, you know, the way that that Her that um, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix starts out, there's this this idea, this this thing of distrust, um, of questioning, of are you in your right mind type of thing. And I think that whenever uh, people that have experienced death um, go through that, like whenever they've lost a loved one, you know sometimes we don't understand where they're coming from or how to relate to them. Um, it's just, there's this awkwardness about it. Like, you know, I think a lot of us have good intentions whenever um, a loved one dies or, or one of our friends that we know of has experienced a loss. We, we say all too often, um, you know, I'm sorry for your loss or you have my deepest sympathy or some some flavoring of that and we're not too sure what to say next and i think that's okay um, sometimes we don't need to say anything um you know my um when my grandfather died um a couple of years ago um we hadn't interacted as much as I would have liked. Uh, I mean, I would just moved back to Dallas from um, the Midland Odessa area. I was in graduate school. Uh, I mean, I was 45 minutes to an hour away from him. My dad was living there also at the time, taking care of my grandpa. And I wish, looking back, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. I wish I had spent more time with him. But I didn't. Um, but at the same time, I always felt like my grandpa, my grandpa McKinney was um, was my champion. Like he was the guy that was always cheering me on and encouraging me, even even if it was from like afar or something like that. I still felt like that was him. And I'm forever grateful for him. So I think one thing that we can take away from what we experience, um, at least on screen and in the book with Harry Potter. And mind you, to all the folks that are listening, if you haven't read the books and you've only seen the movies, I would encourage you, I would highly encourage you to go to your library and get them, you know, read them, because they are very different. And I promise you that the books will make you appreciate the movies even more. Um, cause you're going to be like, well, why wasn't this and that or whatever? That, that's how it typically is with most, you know, book to film adaptations. Um, so just keep that in mind, but I would strongly encourage you. I'm using strongly now instead of highly. I would strongly encourage you to go get the books and check it out because you will really enjoy it. I promise you. And Another another thing that I'm thinking of whenever I, I consider just like the early chapters of of um, Harry Potter is 
you know, this idea of these things called Thestrals, um, that only people that have experienced death can really um, see them. Um, you know, when when you're a first year at Hogwarts, you're you're taken in a boat across the Black Lake to get to Hogwarts, where you go through the pomp and circumstance of being sorted into your house. And for anyone that might be wondering, Chase, what house are you in? That is an excellent question, and I'll tell you. I am a proud Ravenclaw. I am a proud Ravenclaw. I went through Pottermore, went through Neopets. Every time I've ever been sorted, I've, except for once, there's only been one other instance where I've been sorted where I wasn't Ravenclaw. Um, the one other time was Hufflepuff. So if I had to have a, um, a hybrid house, it would be either Ravenpuff or Huffenclaw, depending on whatever you want to call it. But I am a very proud Ravenclaw. Um, I always have been, always will be. It's the house I've always wanted to be in. But, I, you know, whenever you're a second through seventh year, you, you hop in these carriages and you go up to Hogwarts and you think that, you know, there's some kind of charm or whatever that's been cast on this carriage that just pulls it. In reality, uh, there are these, these dark winged creatures um, called Thestrals, the only people that have experienced death um, can see. And I think that's another thing that we can take from this as we, as we think about grief and loss is that, you know, we have to have a certain degree of sensitivity with people that have experienced loss. All of us as human beings will experience loss and all of us will go through some sort of grieving process. And gr the grieving process looks different for each and every one of us. Okay. There are different durations of the grief grieving process. Um, but it's not something that we need to ignore. Now, back to what I was saying with, you know, these Thestrals and the grieving process. I think it is important for us to consider and realize that these people that have experienced loss, they are going to be seeing things in a way, in a, in a different way than those that have not. So that can be something like certain um, type of gravitas, gravitas, um, certain type of of depth as to how they look at life. And life is a very uh, sacred, very um, important thing to honor and to respect. Um, it's not something that's meant to be taken care, uh, taken um, for granted. So we need to honor that sort of thing, you know, and, and as we go through all of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, you know, we learn more about the stakes of life, the stakes of society. Um, Harry being one that's experienced death, but his his other friends, you know, Ron, Ron and Hermione, at least if I'm not getting the timeline screwed up, and again, please give me some grace on this, 
at this point they haven't experienced it directly. They've they've experienced it secondhand. Uh, at least I can't come up with like a direct example right now of it. But you know their perspective on the situation is not the same as as the person that's been affected. Um, you know, me losing my grant. I don't believe I've lost him, but physically him departing this life um, has certainly affected me. I felt like for a while it made me a very um, angry and bitter person, and I didn't like that. Um, my dear wife and her family, um, my wife, she lost her, her eldest brother. Um, he was a, a combat medic in the U.S. Army. Um and he died serving this nation. And I wish I had known him better than I did. I, I know him somewhat from, you know, growing up at the same church. But, you know, when you're a child and, you know, they're about, I think, five years older than you, five and a half years older than you, that's an eternity, man. You know, you don't think that you're going to really have much in common with someone that's five and a half years old, but like the more that my wife tells me about, you know, my late brother-in-law, the more I wish I could know him. Cause like he just seems to have, so, seem to have so many common interests that I share, you know, like the outdoors, like I was talking about earlier with our trip, um, and camping and, you know, he was in Boy Scouts. I was in Boy Scouts. Um, I mean, that's like surface level stuff, but like, I just, I really wish I could have known him and I wish I could have had more experiences with him. Um, so if, if nothing else with what I'm saying right now, you know, cherish the relationships that you have with people right now. Um, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. You know, we can make our own plans But it's, it is up to God. I'm going on record by saying it's up to God in his sovereignty to determine, um, you know, where our start and our stop point are. Everything's been planned way in advance. And, um, you know, whether you believe in God or not, I do. And that's, that is my assertion that it is his choice on my start, my stop, and the line that, de that determines, um, you know, my start and my stop is, is what contribution I've been able to make. And the contribution I make is enough. The contribution that we all make is enough. You are enough. You are good enough. Um, you don't need to, to prove yourself. You, you know, you being here is enough. And if I can just be weird for a second, which that's just me. I'm being, I'm going to be me. But biologically speaking, there are roughly 7 billion people in the world. Um, and that number grows by a, a billion, I believe, every decade, give or take. You know, and there are several, I think, millions, if not billions or trillions of cells that are in a rat race to try to become 
a fertilized egg. The fact that you, the listener, are hearing this, you are one in a million billion, or actually you're one in like a trillion billion to be here. So as far as I'm concerned, you're a winner for even being here. So it might seem humorous think, or you know, listening to this right now, but I want that to sink in. That by virtue of you being here, you've already won the most important race there is to run. And that is the race for existence. You have won the race to exist, biologically speaking. And, and I'm just going to leave it at that. There's, there's more that takes place with, with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, you know, like um, with the tension, you know, there's, there's loss of a familiarity with the culture at Hogwarts. Um, and what I mean by that is like the introduction of, of a character named Dolores Umbridge. There's been this very lighthearted uh, type of feel in like the first, you know, four years for the most part. And now, um, and now that, that we are in this fifth year of seven with Harry and, and the gang, um, there has been a major shakeup. Um, this lady that's wanting to change all these things, trying to change the culture. So it almost feels like there's a death of of a culture that's taking place at Hogwarts. And and that's something that we we have to look at also. You know, as we're growing up, we have these experiences. Um, and well, here we go. Here's an office reference. Um, you know, Andy Bernard says, I, and I'm, I might be screwing up this quote, but he says, um, I wish we could know that we're in the good old days while we're still in the good old days. Um, there's a certain natural maturational death that happens like with our experiences in the culture that we're, that we're in. We are not going to look at something the same way, um, at 30 as we did when we were, you know, 10, things are going to change. Our perspective is going to change. Our experiences are going to change. Our experiences are going to shape us and form us and make us who we are. That is life. That's how we do it. And, you know, by by having the introduction of Dolores Umbridge, who I personally would have rather seen um, um, axed than Voldemort. I think more people dislike Umbridge than they did Voldemort. Even in all the vile and evil stuff that Voldemort did, I think people greatly disliked Umbridge. That's just me. I would much rather have her go. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So what do we do? What do we do when we have that loss? How do we experience our our organizational loss, our, um, our philosophical loss, whatever you want to call it? Um, you know, we remember. You know, we remember. And, you know by us remembering, by us um, sharing in the joy of those past experiences, we can still um, enjoy what we did without still living in the past. And and we, we need to do our best to not be so caught up in what happened when we were, you know, 15 and in high school. 
There's nothing wrong with what happened when you were 15 and in high school. If you were like the homecoming king or you were on, you know, in the school musical or you, you know, were part of the marching band that won, you know, the state, you know, um, band marching band competition. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You should celebrate those experiences. But we don't want to be looking in the rearview mirror, you know, so much that we forget about where we're going ahead of us. You know, like we, we have a rearview mirror for a reason when we're driving. We, we glance back to see where we are in relation to other cars and how we're traveling. We also have our side view mirrors, you know, same thing. It's like a safety thing. And sometimes you do have to actually physically look over your shoulder because there are blind spots. We all have blind spots. We don't want to get sidetracked with our side mirrors and we don't want to get so caught up in what's behind us that we we lose focus of what's ahead of us and you know for a show that we're talking about like issues of grief you know yes grief and loss they are very important things but we don't need to be paralyzed by it we shouldn't allow ourselves to be paralyzed by it yes we need to experience it but we don't need to be so um compelled just to be focused on it, that we lose track of living in the moment, of being present with the people in our life, whether that's a spouse, it's our children, it's our best friends, it's our family, it's our classmates, it's whatever. Experience it, but also keep moving. And I think that's that's something that we have to... Um, that, that can be really hard to learn. And for Harry, you know, as he, as he goes through, you know, the rest of the book, um, and even also in the movie of, you know, having um, some avoidance from um, other people that he's looked up to, in particular, like Dumbledore, um, which is like, it's weird whenever you read that. It's, it's, it makes sense, you know, whenever you're watching the movie, but it's, it's really weird when you read it for the first time all those interactions. But then like the big sucker punch, I think of the, of the movie and of the book um, is the death of Harry's godfather, which is his last family member. Um, His parents named Sirius Black, his godfather. So he was considered um, Harry's legal guardian or a legal guardian of Harry and to have that that connection to the past, that direct connection to his parents um, experientially through Sirius is just a major um, sucker punch. It's like, what do you do? What do you do now? And, you know, it's, it's the conclusion of the book that leads again into like book six, you know, it's the death of Sirius. And, you know, how does that, how is that impacting what's happening in book six, which is, you know, the Half-Blood Prince. There are a slew of articles that uh, deal with um, an examination of Harry Potter and grief and, um, things like that. And there's uh, one particular uh, blog that I came across from um, someone out of um, Southfield, Michigan, actually. Her name is Jennifer Morris. 
um, not the same Jennifer Morris from Once Upon a Time, um, different one. She's a um, an LPC in Michigan. I don't know her. I might reach out to her and you know thank her uh, for this. Um, but she's she talks specifically about Harry Potter um, with grief and loss and. She starts off by saying the theme of grief and loss um, recurs throughout the Harry Potter series, ranging from sacrifices being made, uh, murder, accidental death, ambiguous loss, and a loss of innocence. Um, and then she's also like, hey, spoilers ahead. Uh, death comes in all shapes and forms. Loss can be ambiguous, missing something without closure or understanding. Moving, breakups, missing people, or long distance can often be experienced as ambiguous loss. It's common to re uh, respond to ambiguous loss through either glamorizing or de uh, depreciating, um, you know, uh, or just you know just depreciating. For example, moving away from a childhood friend could bring about glamorizing thoughts such as she was such a wonderful wonderful friend and I will miss her a lot and may never have another friend like her again or um, or something to that effect. You know, so this is a, it's a long blog post and I'll make sure um, that I, I have a copy of, of this for you uh, to read over if you'd like. Um, and, you know, um, we've, we've heard of, of the, the stages of grief and um, the five stages of grief um, as we know them are first denial and isolation second anger three bargaining uh, four depression five acceptance people who are grieving do not necessarily go through the stages in the same order or experience all of them which is what i was saying earlier so as long as there is life there's hope as long as there's hope there's life just remember that um Everyone does, in fact, grieve differently. Harry is going to um, grieve differently than Ron. Ron is going to grieve differently than Hermione. Now, I realize that this has been a different format because I haven't had um, a co-host with me, a guest with me, to be able to bounce these ideas off of. So it's, it might be seeming a little one-sided. Um, and... Truthfully, I just wanted to be able to get something out for you guys so that I didn't keep you all waiting any longer. Um, we will eventually be, be getting back to more um, guests to be talking about different media. But if you have any questions about about this stuff or you want to discuss it more, you know, let's get on Twitter, let's get on you know Instagram or on you know the Facebook page, and let's talk about this some more. There's a lot of stuff in here. And I know I didn't cover every little thing. I just hit some of the high points, some of the things that I could easily recall that I thought would be worth chewing on. So by all means, chew on this and, you know, go from there uh, and, and, and see, um, see what you experience, see what, what um, you come up with when it comes to um, the idea of grief and loss and in particular, how it relates to um, Harry Potter, like we're talking about today. Um, so that's going to be it for the reframed portion. Um, there was a 
um, a bit whenever we were talking about you know the overall framework of this podcast. Um, I do want to actually talk about one of our first uh, beyond the frame type of things uh, from someone that uh, sent me a message and uh, go from there. I'm trying to actually get it pulled up. I'm having a little difficulty with technology right now. So let me see here. Um, okay, so this is from a listener, uh, which I'm not going to name for anonymity reasons. And they sent me a message and they said, your podcast is so on point, like really relevant for me. Those are their words. Um, and they were referencing the episode on uh, fathers. So when we were talking about um, Uncharted and the importance of fathers and father figures. And so they talked about how I had mentioned the article about a father playing um, as much of a role as the mother being um, the child of an alcoholic led to some absent father symptoms. But I've noted themes of relevant father figures throughout different phases, which has um, been really rewarding. And then she, this person um, also stated that they were at a, a staff reunion to celebrate um, a camp director that they worked under, um, which he, the camp director, had been at this camp, I guess, for 20 years or, or so. And she, I'm just going to say it, she uh, identified this man, the camp director, as a significant father figure in their life. And they said, I was just grateful that I had listened to your podcast to be aware of it and to be extra thankful. And um, with that, thank you for sharing that with me and um, being able to add that to the podcast. You know, it's, it's stuff like that that I really enjoy. And I'm glad that you've had that experience just with, you know, you know, the early days of this podcast and how it helped you have an appreciation for the man that you consider a significant father figure, um, significant male figure in your life. Um, thank you. Keep it up. Um, thank you for listening. And for each and every one of you, um, if you are struggling with some kind of depression uh, from the loss of someone, there's always someone that's willing to help and to listen. Um, counseling may be a good fit for you. I think counseling is a great fit for everyone. Um, it's just like going to a Valvoline, you know, to get your oil changed every three to 5,000 miles. You know, the, the mechanic is going to be looking under the hood at, you know, air filters and other stuff, belts, you know, fluid levels. And your car doesn't have to be braking for you to go get an oil change and stuff and to change your air filter. However, if something's noticed, you might want to get it taken care of. And the same thing with counseling. Your world doesn't need to be falling apart to go see a counselor. You know, um, things can be going really well. In fact, if you if things are going really well and you're, you see a counselor like once a month or once a quarter, that's great. You know, things might come up. And you might be able to tackle it then before it gets worse, before things are broken or very damaged. So um, that's not to say that if you're depressed or you're anxious or whatever, that you're broken. Okay. 
we can all benefit from, from seeing a counselor. So I would encourage you to, if you are having feelings of worthlessness um, and you're contemplating suicide, please don't. Um, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room. Um, and if you don't have someone to talk to, I would um, encourage you to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. There's someone that's always on the other end, 24-7, 365 days a year that's willing to listen to you and talk to you. And um, anyways, I know that ended on kind of a heavy note, but I did want to take the time to mention that. So uh, thank you to the listener that sent in that note that was very encouraging to me as the host of this podcast to hear that there's at least a small impact that's being made in someone's life by listening to this. So thank you. Um, you guys are awesome. Uh, stay tuned. There will be another episode dropping here in uh, two weeks, um, like normal. So um, as always, thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, send us a note, send us an email um, at reframedpod at gmail.com. You can also interact with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all at ReframedPod. So thank you for listening. Once again, you guys truly are awesome. I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate each and every one of you. I love you guys. And remember, take care and stay dapper.